And our first reading this morning can be found on page 1075, 1075, the letter to the Romans, chapter 12, and we begin to read at verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3. And Paul writes, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And this is the word of the Lord. Now, if you are able, please stand for the gospel reading, which can be found on page 102. Three, John chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. 1023, John 15, 12. Jesus said, My command is this love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Father, thank you for trusting us to be your body here on earth. As we look at today's reading, show each one of us our part in this body to the glory of your name and the growth of your kingdom. Well, the title of today's sermon is Real Community. And I wonder what is a real community? Is our church 
a real community? And these are the questions we are going to be thinking about today. And for me, I think the answer is in today's reading in verse 5. Each member belongs to all the others. That's what I think real community is. Each member belongs to all the others. And verse 10 shows us how we can accomplish this. Be devoted to one another, or as the Amplified Bible puts it, mutually dependent in love. And that little phrase is very important, in love. But who are these members, and how do we join the club? And most of us here know the answer to that. The members are those who have been born again of God's spirit. And we get our membership card, according to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27, because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. When we ask Jesus to come into our lives and become Lord, that's when we become members of this community. It's not exclusive. It's open to all. And if anybody here this morning is not quite sure whether they are a member of that club, please consider it seriously and speak to someone about it sooner rather than later. Because if you're not in the club, you're missing an awful lot. Paul, in our reading from Romans, presents us with the perfect recipe for a real church community. And our gospel reading shows us how to achieve it. Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. However, the world's interpretation of that word is very different from God's. This is why in verse 2 of the Romans passage, Paul says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And according to Charles Swindle, Christians have to make a deliberate decision to daily place ourselves at God's disposal. We have to stop mimicking the world's values and way of life, but continually have our minds renewed and transformed into God's image. This will be something which will change us from the inside out, but the process cannot be done in reverse. It's got to come from the inside out. So we need to do this. Let's take a deep breath and look at Paul's recipe looking to see whether our small weekly groups can play a part in this. Of course, our example is the early church. And according to Acts 2.42, they worshipped in the temple, but also in small groups in one another's homes, where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And again... We have the comment that others made about them. Look how they loved one another. This all-important word, love. 
In order to help us understand the way the real community works, Paul likens the church, the body of Christ, to our human bodies. Our body is made up of so many parts, but, it is, but if it is to function properly, all of these parts need to be working together, even though they all have a very unique part to play. They cannot work in opposition to each other because each part is interrelated and so dependent on each fulfilling its function if our body is to be healthy. And most of us here can testify to that. William Barclay comments, the members of a human body do not argue with each other or dispute about their relative importance, but each part carries out its own function. However prominent or humbly unseen that function might be. And immediately from that comment, we can see how the devil tries to get in and interferes with the church family. Paul now moves on to the nitty gritty of how this works. However, before we look at this and our parts in the body and how we interrelate with it, with the other members, we need to get an accurate picture of who we are in Christ. So we need to look into God's mirror to see our true image because we often have a very distorted view of ourselves, either too full of our own importance or, more often the case, too self-effacing. Either way, in order to fully play our part in the body of Christ, we need to see ourselves as God sees us. This is how Charles Swindle puts it. Our part in this process is to think correctly about ourselves and to realistically acknowledge our strengths and weaknesses and our God-given talents. In other words, we are not to think of ourselves as all-important, neither are we to think of ourselves as insignificant, but be satisfied with how God has made us and the part we are to play in his schemes of things. And this reminds me of a lovely little song we used to sing with the children. And it's all about animals and the different parts uh, they play in their worship of God. Uh, and I remember there was a butterfly in it and an elephant in his trunk. But the bit that I used to love was the refrain, which said, but thank you, Father, for making me, me. And I was so taken with that that I got a sticker and stuck it on the front of my Bible to remind me to be content with who I am. So as we look on to, on to verses 6 and 8, where the different gifts are listed, verse 3 is essential in helping us to see our place and contribution in our church, the body of Christ here at Seasalt. This is the message interpretation of that verse. Living then as every one of you does in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing his, this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us not by what we are and what we do for him. 
In other words, it's all God's doing. Things work in us and through us. The first thing we need to remember as we look at this list is that in verse 6 we are told that all have gifts. There are a variety of gifts because there are a variety of needs in a church. And in order for it to function in a healthy and well-balanced way, all those gifts are needed and needed to be used and honoured because they're all God-given. So the church is supposed to be an expression of variety, working in unity. The next thing to remember is that our God-given gifts are not solely for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the whole church. And this is why it is so important that we use them. So we mustn't let feelings of insignificance or inadequacy stop us playing our part in the body of Christ in our church here. However, just as important as accepting ourselves as a necessary part of the body is also accepting others for who they are. Part of our role in the church is to build each other up and not tear one another down. So to the list. There's prophesying, that's speaking out God's message, and it also includes one of the gifts of the spirit of prophecy. Serving, well, this includes a multitude of things, doesn't it? From the people who greet us at the door, who serve the coffee, put the chairs out, those people who help in open the door, and in sparklers, and on and on it goes. There's so many. In fact, anything that is to do with the life of this church. Teaching. And this covers all kinds of teaching in the church, amongst our children and young people, in small groups, and anywhere where God's word is expounded. Encouraging. This is an important one. Being a Barnabas, son of encouragement. It's so important to build one another up and make one another feel valued and an important part of our church. Giving. And this doesn't solely mean financially, but of ourselves and our time. One that you might have expected to be at the top of the list isn't leading. Paul always saw his leadership role as one of responsibility, a privilege and hard work, not lording it over others, but caring for them. And lastly, showing mercy. Or as one translation has it, showing kindness to others. And the word used in this passage to describe how we should use these gifts are generously, not grudgingly, sincerely, cheerfully, and eagerly. The last part of today's reading is entitled Love in Action, where Paul brings us face to face with the meaning of real love and pretty much sums up how much we as a church can become a real community. The point Paul is making in verses 9 to 15 is that real love is genuine and it's got to start there. It's got to be genuine and sacrificial 
in its involvement in the lives of others. John summed this up in 1 John chapter 3 when he wrote, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Genuine love comes from God. And before we can fully express it horizontally, that is, amongst one another, it's got to come vertically from our relationship with him. And as such, we must hate and have nothing to do with anything that is tainted with evil. Paul then goes on to give us eight examples of how this love works out in practice, especially amongst Christians. First, we have to be devoted to one another. And the Greek word he uses means full of tenderness. In other words, a feeling of deep affection and commitment to each other, as you would find in a loving family. Secondly, we are to value others more highly than ourselves. Then we will give them the respect they deserve. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 echoes this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Next, there should be no room for indifference in our involvement in the church. Also, because of God's renewing and ongoing work in our lives, we can rejoice together as we see this happening in one another. The next point that Paul makes is that real love never gives up, however difficult things are and however difficult people can be. Christian love keeps on building bridges and breaking down walls. As we get older, there will be things in the church that we can no longer do, but we can always pray and support the other members in our church who are doing the things that we can no longer do. Generosity is another hallmark of love in action. Being prepared to meet the need of a church family member. And lastly, hospitality. The Greek word for this means affection for strangers. So it doesn't only mean inviting people into our homes, but even more importantly, into our lives. And this might be a little more challenging and scary. And lastly, I think that verse 15 should be included here. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn or weep with those who mourn. Wow, what a list. Not one of us can accomplish this in our own strength or out of our own love. This is God's love in action, working through us. But we have to play our part. We can't just rely on God. We have to play our part. In verse 11, we are told that these gifts need to be worked at. And in the words of the Good News Bible, work hard and don't be lazy. No mincing the words there. As we serve others in the church, we are also serving God. And as we are devoted to our Christian family, so we are being devoted 
to God, just as God is entirely devoted to us. This is all in response to what Jesus has done for us and for the hope that we have in him. William Barclay maintains that there can never be a hopeless Christian, and that's in every meaning of the word. And here are some other encouraging words that we find from Paul and elsewhere in his letters. God's grace is always sufficient in all things. Strength is made perfect in weakness. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even things we think I could never do that. If God wants us to do it, we can do it in his strength. No task in the church is too much for any Christian because God has given us the talent with which to do them. In a large church, especially when one has four congregations like we have, it's not easy to be a real community. And I think this is where smaller weekly groups are so important. It's in these groups that we get to know one another in a deeper way and we're able to care for one another and support each other in prayer. And where we can encourage each other to discover what our gifts are. Sometimes we don't know what our gifts are. And then to encourage them to use them for the benefit of the whole church. Together, we are the body of Christ here in Sea Salter. All joined together in our relationship and connection with Jesus, who is the vital lifeblood flowing through our veins.